Since the first day I stepped foot in here, this church has been nothing but gracious to me and my bride, Janet, and our three children. But more importantly, I love this church because this church is a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And those kind of churches are fewer and fewer these days. So when you can stand in here and feel the presence of God, it's always a tremendous blessing. And as my brother Brad mentioned, uh, our partnership with this church started back in 1975 uh, as a result of Dr. Harry Fletcher. And I was blessed at the end of May to, to see Dr. Fletcher for three days at our annual conference. He gave a charge from the Word of God every day, and I was completely blessed by that. Uh, as Brad had mentioned, I'll just quick, briefly uh, mention that the ministry in Wayne County is incredible. Uh, Pre-COVID, I did not like going to the Wayne County Jail because there was just this oppressive spirit of spiritual darkness every time I went in. I would greet the correctional officers there with a warm smile and a good morning, and they would just look at me stone-faced like I wasn't even there. And something happened from when they closed the doors on March 13, 2020, and reopened them on July 1, 2021. And I would say it was the Spirit of God said, I'm taking this place. And so when I walked in and I say good morning and I smile, I get a good morning back. I'm welcomed. But more impressive is the fact that the correctional officers that work there now, there are many born-again believers. And they will say, Brian, I hope you don't mind, but I took one of your Bibles and I gave it to so-and-so. And I sat down and I talked to him about a passage. And I was like, do I mind? Of course I don't mind. Those are there for everyone. And that's what's happening there. we got a great volunteer team. Our Bible studies are back in uh, full swing. Monday through Thursday evening, we're averaging about 13 men every night. Our church services on Saturday and Sunday are being well attended. Now, I just ask for prayer for Monroe County. Uh, I've been the only person involved in ministry from an evangelical side since... Thanksgiving of last year because of the big COVID outbreak. But they are gearing up, I'm told, to bring in volunteers. I know that prayer here can uh, expedite that. Uh, so, with that said, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we are going to read verses 8 through 14. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Well, Father, I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who makes all things possible through his shed blood. I'm thankful for the truth found in your word. And I just pray, God, as we study it today and read from it, that your spirit would just touch our hearts and minds to reflect on the things that we need to do better for you 
and the things that we need to remove our li- from our lives so that we might bring honor and glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So by the time Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy had been ministering at the church of Ephesus for four years. It had been almost that long since he had received his first letter from Paul. And Paul wrote him again to provide him encouragement and fortitude. He knew that he was facing difficulties and great trials. He knew this because he too was going through the proverbial faith ringer. He was writing from a dark and damp Roman prison cell just before his death in A.D. 67. During this time, the Roman Emperor Nero had been slowly descending into madness. It was exacerbated by the great fire of Rome in A.D. 64 that burned half the city. With the residents of Rome in an uproar, Christians became a convenient target for Nero, who used believers as scapegoats, for his city's own lack of preparedness. And Paul was one of those caught up in this persecution and was beheaded by Roman officials soon after the writing of this letter. The second letter to Timothy offers a picture of Paul at the end of his ministry, just before his death. You could say that Paul was settling his accounts and preparing for the inevitable. I would say in all likelihood, his closeness to the Lord brought him comfort in knowing that he would soon be standing face to face with Jesus. Paul understood that the ministry would only become more difficult for Timothy without the apostle being there. And Paul knew that Timothy had a great challenge ahead in keeping the church together. He knew that it was of utmost importance to ensure that sound doctrine would be passed along to future generations. He knew that encouraging believers to live their lives as holy and acceptable for the sake of Christ would be difficult. He also knew that these two things combined would often bring thanklessness. And though hardship would come, Paul wanted Timothy to continue in those things that he had learned. You see, Timothy had a very rich heritage of faith. It wasn't just passed down from Paul, but if you read in Scripture, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were godly servants of God, uh, for the Lord. This portion of scripture that we're looking at today is preceded by a verse that many evangelicals have taken rest on to combat fear and the unknown that has transpired over the last couple of years. It's been a rallying cry for many. And for me personally, I clung on to this verse when the unknown continued to hit me from all sides. And that's found in verse 7. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. As a follower of Jesus, this ought to bring a spring to your step and lift your spirit from any dark place that you might be walking through. You know, most born-again believers understand that this world system that we're living in today has been spoon-feeding us garbage at an alarming rate. We're being guided by satanic forces peddling a bag full of lies. But the great thing is, is that God sees it all. He saw it all long before it actually came to fruition. 
And that's why He gave us the truth. And it's found right here, my friends, in the Word of God. This truth will never fail you regardless of what you face. And when I look at the, today's text of seven verses, three things stand out to me that Paul is trying to convey to Timothy. The first thing I see is found in the first half of verse 8 and also in verse 12. And that is to be not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Be not therefore ashamed of this testimony of our Lord. For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Now when I think of being ashamed, two things come to mind. The first thing is a feeling of inferiority or unworthiness. But you know, as God's child, you are uniquely made and gifted to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. You are set apart and sanctified to do wondrous things for the King of Kings. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We also read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. When you are born again, you are adopted into God's family. Your soul takes up residence in the heavenly realm for all of eternity. And with this incredible transformation comes a gift to be used to accomplish God's perfect will through your life. And all of those that have called on the name of the Lord to be saved are gifted with at least one thing that will draw others to Christ. And when used in accordance with God's perfect purpose, it will bring honor and glory to God the Father. But before our soul can grab those keys to our heavenly mansion, we have some tasks to do for our King, do we not? This fact should give us a boldness to proclaim that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord of all. It should excite you to be about the Father's business. It should give you the necessary strength to push through any boundary or obstacle that this world tries to lay before you. And as his child, because the Lamb is worthy, you are made worthy by his sacrifice. So do not allow the feeling of unworthiness to dwell in your conscience. Because Jesus overcame death and the grave, and we too will one day do the, do the same. Now the second thing that comes to mind when I think about being ashamed, uh, of being ashamed is this reluctance or unwillingness to do something because of shame or embarrassment. I had a brother, Jeffrey John that went home to be with the Lord on March 8th, 1982, at the age of seven and a half. He was born with this rare condition called mucopolysaccharidosis. And those with this condition are short-statured and have stiff joints. The hands are affected with the curling inward of fingers, making it difficult to properly grab or hold things. 
And some types of the disorder cause corneal clouding of the eyes. Progressive intellectual delay is seen in children with Hurler system syndrome, rather. And all of these attributes were gifted to my brother Jeffrey. On top of all that, he was severely retarded too. And I remember as a young boy, when he was born, he was pretty active and involved with us. But when he got to about three and a half, that's when the condition really started to take a turn. That's when he could no longer really do anything for himself and needed to be assisted with everything. I was his big brother by three years, 360 days. With our birthdays being five days apart, we always celebrated together. And he always had a smile. This beautiful, wonderful smile. Even though he had so many obstacles to overcome. And he had this infectious laugh that would raise your spirit to another level. You could be having a horrible day and then you'd hear his laugh. And it would just seem to disappear. But I remember dreading school activities that would require the entire family to attend. It would mean that Jeffrey would be visible to my classmates. Many would stare and laugh. Some would even direct unspeakable comments to me. In a word, you could say I was ashamed. How could I possibly be ashamed of someone that only exuded love towards me? How could I be ashamed of another person's handicap when they had no control over its appearing? As a 10-year-old boy, I did not always have the strength to stand up for what was right. But looking back, I thank the Lord for my brother Jeffrey. He was preciously gifted by our God to my family. His life taught me at a young age how to accept people for the way in which they were created. And today his life still resonates in mine. Jeffrey gave me a leg up to properly minister to those that are different. I understand that with differences come opportunities to be more rounded into the image of Christ. You see, God's goodness is unending. His grace knows no bounds. And the care that he offers and provides is continuous. Because of these attributes, shame and embarrassment should never come into your minds or way of thinking when you think of Jesus Christ. Scripture actually warns against being ashamed of the gospel. You see, at the final judgment, Jesus will be ashamed of all who have been ashamed of him. We see this in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Luke 9.26 For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his Father's and of the holy angels. Matthew 10.33 But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And Hebrews 11.36 But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed 
to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Now friend, if the devil tries to get into your ear and bring shame for your belief in Jesus, rebuke him immediately. There's nothing sweeter than the name of Jesus. Jesus. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Glorious Lord. Emmanuel, God is with us. Blessed Redeemer, living word. Satan knows what's coming his way, folks. And will spitefully try to render you ineffective through shame and embarrassment. As Christ followers, the sooner we realize that we are weird and will draw plenty of sideways glances from the world, the better off we'll be. Wear the badge with honor. Wear the label. Because the lamb that was slain for us is worthy to be praised. I say, be a Jesus freak. Why not? What do you got to lose? The second thing I see in this passage is found in the second half of verse 8. Be prepared to experience pain and suffering, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I do not believe that there's a place anywhere in the Bible that promises a pain-free existence for the person that places their complete trust in Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will be afflicted. As difficult as it is to hear, as difficult as it is to grasp, as difficult as it is to embrace, it is a reality that we need to understand and accept. But with that come blessings. Because affliction can purify us. And it can help us develop endurance. We read in Daniel chapter 12 verse 10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. James 1.3 Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And not only that, affliction is part of living in a fallen world. I don't need to remind you that this is a fallen world. All you have to do is open up your front door and take a step out and you'll see that for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then we see in Psalm 25, verse 6. 
Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. You see, even though we live in a fallen world, we will draw great comfort from God when we draw upon Him and His Word. He is always interceding for us. And we don't like this one, but affliction can be the result of persecution for Jesus' sake. This world hates Jesus. They hate the name. They hate the person. They hate the God. We see this in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verses 11 and 12. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered Paul, he'll deliver you. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, Paul speaks of being delivered from the afflictions that he endured. If the Lord delivered Paul, he'll deliver anyone. And with the afflictions that we are bound to face, we need to realize the hate will follow. We will be hated. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And Jesus said this in John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before you. Jesus tells us that if we are truly his, then we will face the same hate that he did. And it's tough. Don't get me wrong. It's tough. But you can push through it. I know you can. Affliction can be the result of a direct attack from Satan. Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that ye may sift you as wheat. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That verse is interesting, isn't it? Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wow. We're experiencing that today, are we not? And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now Satan is not going to come after you if you are an ineffectual Christian. If you're not making a difference for his kingdom, then you're okay. He'll leave you alone. But if you're not facing some form of affliction in your life, I just challenge you that you may want to internally question how active you are in your faith and in spreading the good news. Because the more effective you are, the more intense the spiritual warfare will become. But the great news is, folks, that affliction is only temporal. We're told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding 
an eternal weight of glory. One day all of this affliction will be forgotten. And will be, I don't know about you folks, but I will gladly trade in this wretched flesh for an incorruptible body. I'm looking forward to that day. And then afflictions remind the Christian that this world is not our home. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now when we keep our focus on that truth, we can endure the affliction, can we not? Remember, friend, we are just sojourners here. We only hang our hat here for an appointed time. So don't get comfortable in this world and what it has to offer. Because it is fleeting. And then the last thing I see from this passage is found in verse, 19, in verse 9, 13, and 14. And this is so very important for the born-again believer. And that is to be committed to the work of the Lord. What has saved us and called us within holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Now the Holy Spirit, according to this, dwells inside the heart of the born-again believer. It takes up residence once you decide to repent of your sins and place your complete trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because of this, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you to do wondrous things that will draw others to Jesus and glorify the Father. According to Scripture, everyone is uniquely gifted to accomplish a work that has eternal value. Now, some of you may disagree with my position, and that's okay. But I believe that all born-again believers need to be active in their faith. And I see this in James chapter 2, verse 20. It says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The work of God should always be an active work in order to draw attention of the lost to who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them. It has often been said by others that the gospel can best be demonstrated through how we live our life rather than speaking the truth found in God's word. Now, there's a lot to be said of that ideology, and I agree with the assessment, but we will need to eventually speak on the things written in the Scriptures. God's words are alive, and they're life-changing, and people need to hear them. They don't need our opinion. They need God's Word. And maybe you come from the school of Moses and think that you're not eloquent, And that's okay. God will use you as a vessel to affect those he intends to reach. You will be cast aside. And the work will be done through you. 
So I say just step out in faith and say, use me, Lord. Use me. And he will do just that. That should be our rally cry every morning we wake up when we have breath in our lungs. How can you use me today, Lord? These days are dwindling. The Lord's return is imminent. And there is so much to do. There are so many lost and blinded souls stumbling around this world just looking for something to grab onto. And Jesus is just there waiting. Come to me. Come to me. But people can only come to him if they know about him. And that's why evangelism is so, so critically important. You see, evangelism is an act of love. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. You see, we have the best news of all, that Jesus is Lord. Love should propel us to share it with those who have not heard. Love wants everyone to have a chance to respond to God's offer of salvation. Withholding the remedy that could save someone's soul is complete failure. Those who truly love God will love the people whom Jesus came to save. I'd say that never in a million years did I think I would be a jail chaplain. I'd never stepped foot in a jail in my life. Most of my life I live for my flesh. But it just so happened that it was decided, even before I took my first breath, that God wanted that for me. That was my purpose. Oh, and am I ever thankful that my eyes were eventually open to that fact. And the thing is, is God's got something for every one of you. Whether it be full-time ministry or whether it just be lay ministry. He's got something for you. And the great thing about evangelism is that it builds our own faith, does it not? Nothing will help you learn a subject better than teaching it to someone else. Sharing your faith helps in strengthening your own beliefs. Evangelism also forces us to wrestle through the hard questions of life. It helps us to find answers to the key questions for ourselves. And this action prepares us to respond to the questions that the lost have. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. You are reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The great thing about evangelism is that it provides eternal benefits, unlike our 401ks and the stock markets. Matthew 6.20 and 21 But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus encouraged his followers to store up treasure in heaven. I believe he knew all the earthly stuff we accumulate is distracting. It keeps us from fulfilling God's perfect plan for our life. And we have such a short span of time to make an impact before being swept into eternity. May each of us be sure not to show up empty-handed at the judgment seat. Evangelism is an overflow of the hope 
that can be found within us. This hope will keep us anchored to God and the real truth that he teaches. It will help to deflect the lies that surround us in its work to undermine the Lord's purposes. I love this verse, Hebrews chapter, verse, chapter 6, verse 19. Which hope we have is an anchor for the soul, but sure and steadfast in which entereth into that within the veil. What a great word picture of Jesus being our anchor. Anchors, when they're properly dropped, are immovable. And lastly, evangelism pleases the Lord. And I have no doubt that everyone sitting here today wants to please the Lord. Here we are in the middle of July, and this church, the attendance, is pretty doggone strong, which is a testimony of this church. And so I have no, no doubt that everyone here wants to please the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, God's children will naturally want to please their Heavenly Father because that is why we were created. In everything we do, there should be a pull toward pleasing God. Even mundane and frowned upon tasks can be completed with joy because you are doing it in order for God to be magnified and glorified. And that's everybody on the ministry team, whether you're cleaning in the bathrooms or whether you're standing in the pulpit. If you're doing it for God, if you're doing it for His glory, then you're drawing people to Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Teaching others how to have a relationship is the best way to please Him. And in, do so, in so doing, you will experience the greatest fulfillment from laboring for the Lord. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a great reminder to me and hopefully to all of you to always check whether or not we're living for our flesh or if we're being led by the Spirit of God. And I know for myself, I find it more and more difficult to cast my flesh aside because everywhere you look, the temptations abound. And the only way to be able to do that is to be grounded in the Word of God. And the only way to do that is to be continually grounded in the Word of God. Because when you're grounded in the Word of God, those things are going to have less of a flare. They're going to have less of an appeal. That sparkle, that shine is going to dull. But Paul's second letter to Timothy brings us to the brink of death. Paul was facing this reality. He faced it when he was writing this. And he was not dwelling on the many wrongs that he had encountered. 
He had every right to be screaming through his cell gate of the great injustices that he had been enduring for years. He had every right to feel abandoned by the afflictions that had been heaped upon him for doing the work of the Lord. And yet instead, we find him at peace. We find him trusting that God had him right where he wanted him. He knew that God had a plan and a purpose and that his work would be perfected. He also knew that the afflictions that he was going through and that he was enduring were being witnessed and watched. He knew in those years of confinement as a result people would be drawing to the cross in an act of full repentance from their sin. I want to encourage you from this reading. Three things that I was able to draw from that actually the Lord put on my heart. That made this passage of scripture come more alive, more applicable. That I could use it in my own life. And that is, first off, be not ashamed of Jesus Christ. He's given us so much. He's given me so much more than I deserve. And we need to be prepared to experience pain and suffering. That's what the Word of God says. I can't help but think there's so many wolves in sheep's clothing standing in pulpits across this country and across this world, sharing a false truth that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, everything will be great. And with that lie comes ineffectual Christianity. So you will face it. But the great thing is, is you're not going to face it alone. Because the Lord's with you, but you also have this great body of believers right here. That when things get difficult, you can lean on them. And then be committed to the work of the Lord. We don't know when we're going to go. We really don't. The Lord knows. And he's got a task for all of us to do. So may we do those tasks until he says otherwise. Father, I'm just uh, grateful for the privilege, the honor to be here today. You are worthy to be praised. I think of my brothers and sisters here, and I have no doubt that some of them are going through strong affliction, whether it be affliction of the body, their health, whether it be affliction of relationships, broken relationships that need to be mended, I don't know everyone here, Lord. Maybe someone's never actually committed their heart and their life to you. And maybe today is the day of salvation for them. Only you know, Lord. So I lift up all of them here today. And I just pray that you would bless them. That you would watch over them and protect them. That you would provide for all of their needs according to your riches and glory. May your word continue to make an impact here in Webster. 
May the light continue to reach out into the community, drawing the lost in so that they might be fed the bread everlasting. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.